This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestofleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Young Turks, The Majority Report, Counterspin, Radio Dispatch, Truth Dig Radio, The Tom Hartman Program, and Melissa Harris-Perry. And a blanket trigger warning as this entire episode focuses on violence against women. Video surveillance has been released showing Ray Rice uh, hitting his then fiance, and it has now led to him being terminated from uh, the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, now, I want to show you guys the video and I'll fill you in on more details. Take a look. All right, so you see them walking in. She already kind of did something there, and she does something there. He hit her once, and then he hits her a second time. You're going to see it in slow motion here. And watch her head. Ooh, she hits the rail. And then she's unconscious. Now here's the... Well, he the door opens. Uh, he's trying to bring her out. Nah, I guess it was wrong floor. He drops her again. And then door opens again. And he just drags her out and lays her down. Now that's the part of the video that we... Starting from there that we saw earlier. The new part of the video is what's inside happened inside the elevator. And that little nudge there... And I'm being overly kind to Ray Rice by saying it's a nudge with his feet. You can say he kicked her. You can say he nudged her. Um, now here, he's trying to hold her up a little bit. Oh, great. Uh, more detail that we didn't see before where he just kind of puts her in the uh, Like a doorway. seated position, yeah. yeah. All right, now TMZ got this, uh, and it has enlightened us further on what has happened here. Okay, mm -hmm. they obtained a videotape. Um, there's details on whether the NFL knew about the, this portion of the videotape that we'll get to in a second. For me, if you watch the whole thing on TMZ Sports, um, it's five minutes. We did a little bit of editing there so you got the gist of it, mm -hmm. right? To me, the biggest, most striking part of this is Ray Rice's indifference after he knocks her out. Mm -hmm. So he just, it's not like... Oh my God, I just hit her. Oh my God, she got knocked out. Oh my God, she hit her head on the railing. Oh my God, is she okay? No, watch this. Nope. Nope, doesn't care. And again, we sped that up, and if, if you watch the whole thing, he just sits there like this, like, no calling anyone, no 911. Why would he call 911? He just punched her in the face, and that led to her being unconscious on the floor. So a lot of people are saying, whether it's the NFL or the Ravens, and the now NFL has uh, suspended him indefinitely, the Ravens released him just right before the NFL suspended him. So both parties have taken significant action upon seeing this video. Okay, uh, And people are saying there's nothing new here. They should have taken action in the first place. I agree that they should have taken action in the first place. Right. I don't agree that there's nothing new here. What we learn is... A normal human reaction would have been like, oh, my God, what, what, is she okay? Is she dead? Is she, because you don't even know. She hit her head. She could have died, right? She, his reaction was, it was so unhuman and inhumane. And those yeah. are two, like, I say unhuman as opposed to inhumane because, yep. like, who, I can't believe a human being reacts that way. Right, but she might have provoked him, so that's okay. And now you no. saw the provocations, too, there. Like, for those of people defending Ray Rice, which is unfathomable to me, right? Mm -hmm. They say, well, she kind of swiped at him a couple times. You see it. You see it on the tape. She does swipe at him a couple of times. Now, you really think those things are equivalent? Like, so, like, she shouldn't do this, but you think that's equivalent? 
I don't, dude, you're I mean, mental, you're, you're man. talking about an NFL player who gets paid <laughs> to get tackled, to charge into people, who's obviously physically stronger than her. Whatever she did, whether she swiped at him or whatever, was lunging at him. I mean, she lunged at him after he hit her the first time. You can see that happening as she's standing by uh, the doorway, probably trying to enter whichever floor they're supposed to go on. Whatever. He's stronger than her. He, you should never fight violence with violence, regardless of what you think. Look, as Jenk said, I don't think there's anything new to this story. Okay, we have a little more detail into what happened in the elevator. But the original video that was leaked was him dragging his unconscious fiance out of an elevator. And then you have people trying to defend him and say, oh, well, she might have provoked him. That's a ridiculous argument to make. I'm not even having a discussion with those people. They're wrong in any and all circumstances related to this story. But the one other thing that I will say is the, the Ravens are absolute liars okay because initially they said that they gave him that two game suspension because they hadn't seen the surveillance footage they had seen the surveillance footage in fact there's an employee that worked at the hotel who spoke to TMZ and told TMZ no no no, no. officials with the team had seen the footage before they decided to give him that two game suspension now let me be really clear about that because they said the NFL had seen the footage okay so it's possible that the NFL saw the footage but the Ravens didn't see the footage okay mm -hmm. now uh, the NFL claims we didn't see the footage either. We didn't see it either. ESPN New York uh, also has a source saying the NFL did see this video that we're now seeing for the first time in public. So when the NFL says, oh, what, us? We didn't see the tape. Uh, you should be a little wary of those claims. But what do you think, even if you believe the NFL and the Ravens, what do you think happened inside the elevator? Like, I'm telling you that I think it's even worse than I imagined, but what I imagined was he knocked her out, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So, th isn't that enough? No. So, what the NFL is in essence saying is, it's not that his actions that we suspended him for, it's that you saw his actions. Yep. Okay? Before, when we thought we can cover it up, we gave him two weeks and the Ravens didn't give him anything. Now that we realize we can't cover it up, and now you've seen the tape, well, that's why we're going to suspend him indefinitely and the Ravens are going to release him. Yes. Now, look, this is a teachable moment. The NFL commissioner, Roger Goodell, uh, did release a statement uh, in regard to their new policy related to domestic violence. Now, they did the two-game suspension originally when it came to Ray Rice, but now they have a, a six-game suspension policy. So for your first offense involving domestic violence, you could get suspended for six games. And uh, Roger Goodell did release a statement that I want to read to you guys. He says, My disciplinary decision led the public to question our sincerity, our commitment, and whether we understood the toll that domestic violence inflicts on so many families. I take responsibility both for the decision and for ensuring that our actions in the future properly reflect our values. I didn't get it right. Simply put, we have to do better, and we will. So I'm glad that they learned something from it, but I think that it took a considerable amount of criticism for them to get it through their heads. I do think that both the Ravens and the NFL completely, you know, bullshitted about, you know, the reasons why they wanted to do the two-game suspension, what they had seen prior to doing the two-game suspension. The reality is they didn't take that situation as seriously as they would take a situation involving a player smoking marijuana or taking performance-enhancing drugs. Domestic violence doesn't get taken as seriously as it should. Now, remember, the original sentence for Ray Rice was two weeks. Josh Gordon, who's a multiple violator of the marijuana policy, wow, he smoked a couple of joints, got a year-long suspension. Two weeks versus a year. You do that to your girlfriend, you get two weeks, then fiancé, now wife, right? You smoke pot a couple of times, you get a whole year.
Josh Gordon, by the way, at the beginning of his career, is one of the best receivers they've ever had. But they're willing to throw him away because, by the way, one of their largest sponsors at the NFL is alcohol companies. So how harsh they are against marijuana, is that related? I don't know. But it's all where your bread is buttered, right? Roger Goodell is, in essence, apologizing. And I'm not giving him any credit for that apology, okay? Mm-hmm. He's, in essence, apologizing to the owners who he wrote that email to. I'm sorry we got caught. I should have handled it better so we can continue to make more money. But now we might lose some female uh, audience. We've gotten embarrassed. Our sponsors have gotten embarrassed. I'm so sorry for costing you a little bit of money is what that apology says to me. Now, when it comes to the Ravens and Anna's criticism of them initially, get a load of you're going to agree with her and, and me. Uh, because Maybe not. <laughs> no, no. Like, if you don't, I mean, what can I do for you? Okay, <laughs> look, the Ravens back uh, when uh, the story broke, on May 23rd, as you see here, tweeted out two things. One was they quoted Ray Rice saying, I won't call myself a failure. Failure is not getting knocked down. It's not getting up. How can you tweet that? Dude, sh- he knocked her down. She didn't get up because she was unconscious. Okay, you can't find a worse analogy. That is literally record-breaking bad analogy. I've never seen an analogy so bad. Okay, so inappropriate in my life. You think that's bad? They pulled a Dick Cheney. The Ravens tweeted out, Janae Rice, who's now, of course, married to Ray Rice, says she deeply regrets the role that she played the night of the incident. That's like when Dick Cheney shot his friend in the face. Uh, it's a literal story, if you guys don't remember. Then his friend came out after he got out of the hospital. His face is all swollen because Dick Cheney shot him in the face. And he apologized to Dick Cheney. I'm so sorry for getting in the way of your gunshot. Okay, so that's, here the Ravens initially were like, Janae Rice is so sorry for her role in these activities as she was knocked unconscious and could have easily died that night. Okay. It's their way of brushing it under the rug, justifying their actions or lack thereof, and, and feeling better about themselves. That's all it really has to do with. And look, no matter how you feel about this story, you have to at least understand that domestic violence isn't something that's taken seriously in this country. It's not. Our coverage of that story definitely revealed that to me. The way people react, people of authority react to these types of stories made me realize it. And I don't know, maybe the tide will will change on this story or, and anything related to domestic violence, but it's like discouraging to see that it has to take all this criticism and all this backlash and all this surveillance footage and evidence to prove that real actions need to be taken against this type of domestic violence. So the NFL new policy is a six-game unpaid suspension on the first offense, and on the second offense, you're kicked out of the league forever. So obviously they got the memo. It's mm-hmm. positive they're reacting uh, in a more constructive way now. It's obviously damage control. But it, it's better than the previous two-week suspension, which is basically saying we don't give a damn. By the way, prosecutors ought to check themselves, too. He got a pre-trial intervention, and that if he goes through the treatment program... He doesn't get prosecuted. Not only does he not get prosecuted, never spends a day in jail, okay? But this will be expunged from his record as if it never happened. So that could have relevant effects if he does it again... He could turn around and say, what? What are you talking about? I don't have a record. Now, we all know he did it, but legally, he will not have a record of that, and that could affect further cases against him in terms of what sentencing that he gets, right? And that's not a minor offense. That's, you know, to where you just go, oh, okay, no big deal, a little pretrial intervention. Good luck with your anger management. Because the prosecutors, no matter what the NFL and the Ravens claim, the prosecutors did see that tape before. Yes. They saw that tape 
of him punching her in the face, her head snapping back, hitting the railing, falling down, him being totally indifferent, and then like almost kicking her uh, as he's getting out of the elevator, like showing contempt for her after she's already knocked unconscious. And they said, yeah, yeah, no, not a day in jail. I mean, after all, you are famous and you do make a lot of money. As I uh, recount the fact that the NFL lied about having the full video of Ray Rice knocking out his fiance, uh, that puts me in the anti-testicular police crowd. What do I mean by that? Well, of course, we need to uh, enter into the fever swamp of 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 the ignoramus. The morons, <laughs> the ignorati on Fox News. Here is Fox News analyst Tamara Holder telling Sean Hannity uh, that people like myself are part of the anti-testicular police. Only suspend Ray Rice, Fox News contributor Tamara Holder, Fox Business Network, Stegan McDowell. Guys, good to see you both. You take a very strong position here that this is really none of the public's business. Well, I think it's interesting that the anti-test police are coming out and just taking this guy's balls and ripping them off and Pause not it. paying attention. What is the fact that this guy is being um, uh, condemned for punching a woman in the face have anything to do with his testicles? As if we're, we're taking away his manhood by saying, you can't do that. Continue attention to the fact that there are there is a family here that there were decisions to be made behind closed doors that also miss rice formerly miss palmer she played a role in it she is not no, nobody can say that she deserved to be hit nobody it's i'm not making that I, I, statement. But you're talking about the hit and the spit correct All right, but, but she, wait a minute but, but there's a rule in life Tamara, that, you, that every man understands. You never lay a hand on a woman, I am period. not defending his behavior. I am not defending his behavior. What I'm saying, though, is that where do we draw the line with just attacking somebody, ruining their life, firing them for life? He's going to lose his home. He, he, we draw he, the he line. Should be in jail. We draw, we draw but the line. But he's not. We draw the line. He's a public figure, which opens him to... Uh, we draw the line. He's a public figure. No, we draw the line when he commits a, a criminal act. And uh, if you are a public figure, the outfit you may work for may not want to be involved with you. If you are a, uh, there is no doubt in my mind that Sean Hannity, in fact, every one of those people sitting on that panel, in their contract with Fox, has some form of morality clause. If you do something that in any way reflects poorly on our outfit, because you are a, uh, a public representative, we will fire you. So how about drawing the line when you commit a crime?
assault and battery. And then whether or not you get fired will also be a function of whether or not anybody wants to be associated with that. So pardon me while I go and attempt to uh, castrate some people right now. Firing of NFL running back Ray Rice after wide circulation of a surveillance video showing him assaulting his then fiance in a hotel elevator led many people to talk seriously about domestic violence and its continued sanction in institutions like the NFL and more broadly. Many people, but not the people at Fox. The morning yuck fest known as Fox and Friends took up the story on September 8th. Here's how they handled it. There was some craziness. I think the messages take the stairs. <laughs> the messages, uh, when you're in an ele- elevator, there's a camera. Yeah. Such comments are, as the Washington Post's Eric Wemple put it, self-denouncing, with no need to waste much time describing how barbaric they are. But still, for a network whose representatives frequently bemoan society's lack of civility, it struck some people as a new low. Some people, but not the people at Fox, least of all the hosts of Fox and Friends themselves. Addressing the outrage they generated on the next day's show, Brian Kilmeade offered this. All right, uh, meanwhile, comments that we made during this story yesterday made some feel like we were taking the situation too lightly. We are not. We were not. Domestic abuse is a very serious issue to us, I can assure you. You've got that? If you think making jokes about domestic violence means they don't take it seriously, you're wrong. Stay classy, Fox News. So the statement from the White House released on Monday afternoon, Josh Ernest said, and this is a prepared statement, this isn't off the cuff, which is why I think looking at the word choice very closely Mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense because it's not, you know, he wasn't drunk at a bar and just (laughs) said this or whatever. It's, it's the, it's very deliberate. Uh, so Mr. Ernest said in a statement, quote, the president is the father of two daughters. And like any American, he believes that domestic violence is contemptible and unacceptable in a civilized society. Hitting a woman is not something a real man does, and that's true whether or not an act of violence happens in the public eye or, far too often, behind closed doors. Stopping domestic violence is something that's bigger than football, and all of us have a responsibility to put a stop to it. So... uh Right. So there's the, the, the thing I think that we want to look at really closely is this, is this phrase real man. Are you reading it just now? I also noted the whole 
president has two daughters thing. Absolutely. That, that, that is what you would, if you're a male politician, you always have to lead with father of daughters. Uh, Todd Aiken, yeah. um, legitimate, legitimate rape Todd Aiken, you know, when he was not apologizing for what he said. He said, you know, I'm the father of daughters. And, and what I said about Todd Akin, who was obviously a much, much bigger D-bag than Barack Obama, but, uh-huh. uh, you know, I said being the father of daughters doesn't make you not a total asshole uh, when it comes to women or in it, when it comes to anything. Um, and the point being broader and about the president having two daughters is you shouldn't have to have two daughters in order to care about women. This is the problem, like, when there, whenever there is violence against women and people People say, well, imagine if she was your sister or your daughter, uh, you know, and people say, well, the, the reason that you shouldn't, that, that we should address sexual assault on campus is because those women are people's daughters and sisters. And of course, that means, that means that a woman's value is only value in her relationship to a man's ownership of her or relationship with her mm-hmm. uh to to her and i you know it's not it's not a malicious thing or anything you know the president does have two daughters and and women you know girls and women uh experience gendered violence but again you're the president should care about violence against women not because he has two daughters but because it is violence against women yeah and i i guess this is a slightly different reason to deploy this father of two daughters than Aiken, where Aiken was saying, Aiken was being criticized, and he responded, yeah. no, I can't be a sexist jackass. I have, I have two, two daughters. daughters. Right. And I feel like that's 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 the way that it's commonly deployed D- that's a really by, good point. especially by right-wing yeah. people who don't believe in uh, women's bodily autonomy. Right. Yeah. And I don't, I really don't mean to, to equate, <laughs> again, Number one, D-Bag, uh-huh. uh, uh, He's the president of that league. <laughs> and Obama. And even though, yeah, the usage is, is quite different, but it's just this thing that you see so, so frequently. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, the, the, the usage, usage is different, but I think that there is still, that, that, that even in this case, it's not, a, it's not above reproach and that there is an element of the president is the father of two daughters. In some ways, it's, it's, sort of innocuous and it's obviously on the surface meant to show that he cares deeply about women's rights you know that he has compassion that he has familiarity with with at least something about this because he has two daughters it's not it's not some sort of alien concept to yeah, him or whatever and, and he thinks about this and as he should as anyone with daughters should of course right but it casts the entire statement quite literally in a patriarchal exactly framework right and that it sets up the listener uh, for understanding violence against women as not as the result of patriarchal expectations but that patriarchy is the answer to dismantling violence against women right right uh, which Our, i th- which i right. think is is a kind of inverse of how we should be thinking about this issue does that make sense absolutely and that and that goes right to the to this phrase real men right yeah, so the right. the idea is you know real men don't hit women 
when we're taught about about domestic violence and and specifically violence against women, and, and it's I think it's important not to erase the the gendered aspect of of domestic violence, even though you know I think the phrase intimate partner violence is also a very very helpful phrase to deploy, but also not erasing the gendered aspect of of that type of violence, the frequency of the gendered aspect of that violence against women and girls. But when we're but when I think the kind of cultural idea is well, real men don't hit women as as the presidential statement was, real men don't hit women. The extension of that being real men take care of women or right. real men protect women. Right. As opposed to, you know, <laughs> I feel like it's like a hippie for saying this, but like people don't hit people. Uh, <laughs> like yeah. in an equal partnership, a man respects his equal partner who is a, might be a woman or a man or whoever, that in a relationship, people, like you said before we started recording, a relationship is built on mutual respect and trust. The phrase real men here, it plays into this this idea, as you said, built on patriarchy, that there is such a thing as a real man. Uh-huh. And that very concept, the idea of what is a real man, that is intrinsically wound up in male and and men who commit violence men who right. commit violence uh of, of of many kinds but certainly men who commit violence against women so reinforcing that idea of real man doesn't hit women is propping up this this toxic idea that there is such a thing as a real man as opposed to just a a good person good people aren't hard to find Let's answer the question, what do women want? It's called What Women Want, an Agenda for the Women's Movement. And there's lots of interesting issues raised in this book. Um, you really run the gamut. And, and I wonder what perhaps the most pressing is. Well, I hesitate to single out one issue. I think there are a number uh, that, that really are at urgent levels. One is amount of sexual violence that women experience. This nation has the highest rate of spousal homicide and the second highest rate of reported rapes in, um, in the world. And although a common response to domestic abuse is, why doesn't she just leave? The answer is that too often she has nowhere safe to go. Um, there are nowhere near enough shelters available for domestic violence victims and we urgently need better strategies for prevention and victim support in the area both of domestic violence and rape. I think the needs of women in poverty also are too often eclipsed. Uh, one in seven women are poor and only about a quarter of those living in poverty are receiving welfare and the benefits are just 50% are and the benefits are 50% below the poverty line and the human costs are enormous millions of families suffer from shortages of food and housing 
And inadequate safety nets keep many women trapped in violent relationships. Ronald Reagan once famously quipped that we fought a war on poverty and poverty won. Well, the battle lines are still drawn and we can't settle for defeat. Um, Areas of work-family issues also require attention. The United States has the least family-friendly policies in the developed world. We're almost alone among countries in failing to provide for paid parental leave and the absence of affordable quality child care is a huge problem for working women. Let me ask you about the issue of domestic violence. Have you been following the story of, of Ray Rice? So we have a situation for listeners who don't know where an NFL football player struck his wife, a now wife at the time she was his fiance. It was looked at by the DA, and, and, I, and I believe the DA did not press charges. The, uh, the husband and wife ent- entered counseling. They got married. Um, the NFL gave him a two-game suspension, and that was just roundly ridiculed by everyone from the public to the media. Eventually, the commissioner suspended Rice indefinitely, and this was after video of the beating was released by TMZ. And now the National Organization for Women is is calling for Commissioner Roger Goodell to resign following his lax punishment of rice. What do you make of the whole thing, and is there anything in particular that strikes you as as, um, more important? Well, I think it's all too typical of the inadequate responses to documented cases of domestic assault. Um, I don't know that his resignation is the right measure to call for. I think the example is really a wake-up call to the entire nation to take these issues much more seriously. Right. It raises the question of why is the commissioner of the NFL, who admits that he got it wrong and, and, made, and then came out with a stricter penalty, um, more under the gun than, say, the, the law enforcement? Well, exactly. You know, I I think this ought to be an occasion for talking about why it is that women stay in abusive relationships in the absence of support structures for them and the financial dependence that often traps women in these relationships. You know, you often see this in 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 it's sort of the stereotypical um, watching cops on TV or something, where a, a, a woman is calls the police, appears to have been abused, and then doesn't leave the husband. Is that a just a caricature of what happens? A more complex issue? Why do women stay with men who who beat them? Well, um, as I indicated, it's often because they've got nowhere safe to go. The most dangerous time for a woman in a violent relationship is when she threatens or attempts to leave. That's when domestic abuse escalates. And the fact that shelters, some of them are turning away as many as 5,000 victims a year, gives some sense of the dimensions of the unmet need for uh, um, support services for those victims. Also, a lot of women are trapped by financial dependence, and some, especially um, immigrant women, are reluctant to contact authorities in these circumstances if they're undocumented, for example, um, and they fear deportation as a consequence. Well, it seems like I've been playing the game way too long. 
Janae Rice, Nay Palmer, uh, posted a statement to her Instagram page. She, of course, uh, was the victim of this brutal assault by her husband, Ray Rice, who, as of yesterday, no longer with the Baltimore Ravens and has been suspended indefinitely by the... NFL commissioner, who also seems like he could use a suspension. But uh, this story is just just horrible. And uh, there's a lot of debate as to whether or not the video should have been made public, as to whether or not it has re-victimized Janae Rice. But it really does uncover the, the failure of a series of police officers and DAs and the league and everybody associated with the Ravens organization. Janae Rice posted a statement to her Instagram page. I woke up this morning feeling like I had... A horrible nightmare, feeling like I'm mourning the death of my closest friend. But to have to accept the fact that its reality is a nightmare in itself. No one knows the pain that the media and unwanted options from the public has caused my family. To make us relive a moment in our lives that we regret every day is a horrible thing. To take something away from the man I love that he has worked his ass off all his life just to gain ratings is horrific. This is our life. What you, uh, what you, what don't you all get? If your intentions were to hurt us, embarrass us, and make us feel alone, take all happiness away. You've succeeded on so many levels. Just know we will continue to grow and show the world what real love is. Ravens Nation, we love you. You know, I am not um, a, a, an expert in this stuff by any. I mean, I'm not an expert in any of this. Uh, I've been reading a lot of people who work with victims of domestic violence, who have been victims of domestic violence themselves. The And there is... Uh, let me just sum up what I've read, which seems credible to me. First off, when there is domestic violence, it is a crime that is committed. And there is a responsibility by the state to uh, follow up and prosecute that person who committed the violence. Secondly, that victims of domestic violence, Janae uh, Rice's response to this is not inconsistent with victims of domestic violence for a whole myriad of 
psychological reasons. Again, this is not my analysis. Uh, that deal with the diminishment of their own self-esteem, the sense of somehow uh, blaming themselves. There are others who have uh, speculated that to the extent that Janae Rice thought that the abuse was worth, worth the life that she would have as uh, the wife of an NFL football player, and that's been taken away from her. Um, all this wrapped up. It's a horrible situation. But certainly, the idea that the NFL didn't have access to this footage or that they didn't seek it, because it's quite clear that the casino would have given it to them if we are to believe that they hadn't seen it, which also stretches the imagination. Uh it is even more of their responsibility and their culpability for not dealing with this situation when it first arose in a way that was uh, appropriate. And so it's, it's a horrible situation, and, you know, to the extent that there's anything positive that comes out of this, is just a, a greater awareness <clears throat> that, A, institutions can no longer get away with covering up for the uh, for for people who engage in this type of criminal act, it's quite clear that the NFL has had just this bizarre, effed up sense of priorities when it comes to policing their players, and whether the players like it or not, the fact is, players are role models. And they're very high profile. And when the league sloughs off this type of stuff, it sends a message. It sends a message to future players. It sends a message to kids. It sends a message to broader society. And, you know, in this day and age, fortunately, institutions like this and companies and, and whatnot, they're held to account. And so... You know, this type of, of criminal behavior is unacceptable, and it's a problem that cuts across society. And frankly, it's a shame that it just takes a video, but it does. In our society, it does. And now you know why things like, as we see uh, leaked uh, stories about how the U.S. government tortured its prisoners everyone from the Al-Qaeda suspects to Jose, uh, uh, Jose Padilla, why the CIA was so determined to destroy those torture tapes. Because the reality of, of humans is that <clears throat> things don't exist unless it's on video for us. That's just our own failing as people.
Here at Best of the Left, we know that it's not enough just to stay informed. You need to get active if you actually want to change the world for the better. That's why we promote great activism opportunities every chance we get. Also, I can only reach so many people on my own, but with your help, we can extend that reach. The episode show notes are most likely available on the device you're using to listen right now, and if they're not, you can see them on the website. Simply click the title of any segment you want to share and then easily post it to your social networks or send it directly to friends. You joining these actions and helping amplify the show to get even more people involved is critical to our mission to change the world for the better. Get started right now in the show notes on the device you're using or visit the website from any device at bestoftheleft.com. Ray Rice, we didn't we didn't get into this yesterday, and I, you know, normally I don't talk much about sports, but this is really a much larger issue, and it's how we as Americans are dealing with domestic abuse. Domestic abuse is one of those issues that, uh, you know, arguably a hundred years ago it was just the way it is, right? Men beat up women, so what? There, it was it was a non-issue, and not and uh, you know I've I've often said that in in many ways. Misogyny is, if not worse than racism, at least it's the other shoe dropping, right? It is the hatred of women, the oppression of women. Uh, I don't think that this is absolutely proves the point, but we got a black president before we got a female president, for example. Um, African-Americans were given the right to vote in the 1870s. Women were given the right to vote in the 1920s, in 1920. Uh, it's it has been a long road and a tough haul for women, and it still is. Women earn seventy cents for every dollar that men work. Women are massively underrepresented in in the workplace, it, particularly in the senior offices, the executive offices, in Congress. Now it's slowly changing, but you know part of this is our attitude toward domestic violence. And Ray Rice punches his girlfriend out in the elevator. To the point that she's unconscious. And originally the NFL said, oh, okay, we'll slap him on the wrist. Two games off. Which would mean that he'd be playing, what, next week, I think? We just had the first first game of the season for his team. Say that again, Shane. Second one's Thursday. Thank you. And uh, it's, isn't it time for us to just say enough already? And by the way, this doesn't just apply to football players beating up girlfriends, fiancés in elevators. There's a woman who has been calling out gamers, for example, for the way women are treated in video games. Women in video games are basically either wallpaper, sex objects, in many cases abusive sex objects. In other words, you know, beat up the woman, rape the woman, kill the woman. But, you know, almost never the heroines of the story. Now, I get it. You know, most gamers are boys. But is this the message we want to be te- teaching boys? Some, you know, yesterday we had a, a conversation with a fellow. I don't remember if it was a caller or a guest who, who you know, went on at some length about, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was a caller. Went on, no, no, it was a guest who went on at some length about, how, well, you know, the traditional role of women has always, or of men has always been, you know, the protector the caretaker, the the uh, provider, 
And I'm like, yeah, that has been the traditional role of men. And who came up with that role? Men! Surprise! And so now that women are getting some power, they're saying, you know, doesn't have to be that way. In fact, maybe that's not even the best way. And when you look historically, you look at older cultures, you look at uh, you know, Native American cultures, uh, Asian, European, African, Aboriginal cultures, what do you find in a uh, South American Aboriginal cultures? In a really significant, perhaps large minority or small majority, women run communities. In the Iroquois Confederacy, it was five nations, there was originally four, and then they, they added another, uh, a fifth one. And in those five nations, four of the five nations, men could not vote. Women ran the show. The men were the Sachems. They would, they would uh, travel the long distances for the annual or semi-annual meetings or biannual meetings uh, of the, you know, of the larger confederacy. But they did not have the power to say anything other than here's what my community thinks and the community voted on what they thought and it was the women who did the vote why because the iroquois confederacy's constitution said all decisions are made in the context of its impact on the seventh generation can you imagine and 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 everybody understood that the men weren't all that concerned about the seventh generation but the women were having babies they 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 got it can you imagine if our legislature if our constitution and Franklin and those guys had this opportunity. Ben Franklin brought 34 elders of the Iroquois Confederacy to the Constitutional Convention in August, or maybe it was July, in the summer of 1787 in Philadelphia. He brought these guys, and for the first week or so, they were there. They did the opening blessing ceremony of the Constitutional Convention. John Hancock made a, a big speech welcoming them and thanking them. Uh, 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 James Madison did, too. Franklin, of course, introduced them. He said, hey, here's a model for us, the Iroquois Confederacy. And this wasn't meant as an insult when he said, you know, if if five nations of ignorant savages have been able to forge a bond which has stood in peace for over a thousand years, then certainly 13 colonies of educated Englishmen should be able to do the same. He meant that as a compliment. And that's what he said. So is it time for us to reinvent our norms? Could it be that we've had a dysfunctional and sick society for hundreds of years? That that might account for slavery. It might account for the genocide of the Native Americans, this male-dominated society. Is it time for us to wake up and change things? My goal with this show is to inform, inspire, and activate listeners to push for positive change. With the support of listeners, I've been able to expand what we do here and make the show better over time. And the only way to continue doing that, to grow and improve, is with your support. I don't need a giant pile of money to run this show. I just need a steady, dependable stream of 5 and $10 monthly donations from people like you. For signing up, you'll also get access to special bonus content, including some behind-the-scenes stuff and more of my comments. If you believe in the mission of this show as much as I do, please help it continue to grow and improve by becoming a member today. Details are on the membership page at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support.
I woke up this morning feeling like I had a horrible nightmare, feeling like I'm mourning the death of my closest friend. But to have to accept the fact that it's reality is a nightmare in itself. No one knows the pain that the media and unwanted options from the public has caused my family. To make us relive a moment in our lives that we regret every day is a horrible thing. I want you to pause. Those were Janae Rice's words. And I want you to take Janae Rice seriously. You see, it's very likely that before you knew her name, you knew her husband, Ray Rice. February of 2013, he earned a Super Bowl ring with the Baltimore Ravens when they defeated the San Francisco 49ers. It's very likely that before you knew her name, you had seen her unconscious form being dragged from an elevator by Ray Rice, who was then her fiancé. It's very likely that before you knew her name, you had seen her sitting sullenly alongside Ray Rice during a May 23rd press conference that the Ravens arranged. In fact, if you had not been paying very close attention to the story, you may not even have known her name before seeing the newly released this week by TMZ Sports video in which Ray Rice punches her in the face and knocks her unconscious. In case you've missed it, her name is Janae Rice. But it might be easy to miss it because the names we have heard most in recent weeks are Ray Rice, Commissioner Roger Goodell, NFL. After the most recent video of Ray Rice punching Janae was released, the Baltimore Ravens terminated his contract. Commissioner Goodell also levied new punishment, extending Rice's two-game suspension to an indefinite one shortly after the Ravens fired him. It seems everyone has seen the tape. Everyone has an opinion. Everyone wants to weigh in. Here's what Janae Rice wrote on her Instagram. To take something away from the man I love, that he has worked his ass off for his whole life, just to gain ratings, is horrific. This is our life. What don't you all get? If your intentions were to hurt us, embarrass us, make us feel alone, take all our happiness away, you succeeded on so many levels. In response, Washington Post columnist Petula Vorak wrote, Poor woman. Domestic violence is, above all, embarrassing. And seeing the part of her life she thought was behind closed doors broadcast around the world is humiliating. But there will be greater good out of her personal pain. This position seems to be the opinion of many. On purpose or by default, it doesn't matter what Janae says or what she wants as long as her pain and humiliation serve a greater good. But I want us to pause and say her name, Janae Rice. I want us to read her words. This is our life. I want us to take her seriously. Not because we agree with her, but because what is happening right now doesn't seem to have much to do with Janae at all. When a survivor chooses to tell her story, it is empowering. When it is leaked against her will and consent, then it becomes another violation. When a survivor decides to be an advocate for others, it is empowering. When her story is used against her will and interest to serve a greater good, it is abusive. Firing Ray Rice makes the NFL look better, and it makes us feel better about watching. Shaking our heads in disbelief about the poor woman who stayed with her abuser makes us feel stronger and smarter than she is. Using the video footage of her abuse to make some larger point about our political or social agenda makes us feel righteous. But what happens if we stop worrying about us and start asking about her? What if the story we took seriously in all of its painful, ugly, uncomfortable reality was her story, not ours? Joining us now are MSNBC national reporter Irene Carmone. Also, Dewan Smith-Williams, wife of former NFL offensive lineman Wally Williams. Also here is L.Y. Marlowe, 
founder of Saving Promise, a nonprofit aiming to stop intimate partner violence. And Madeline Garcia Bigelow, who is associate director of the Urban Justice Center and managing director of the Domestic Violence Project. In this most recent week, as the NFL has decided to get tough on Ray Rice, who does that help most? The NFL. Mm -hmm. um, it's making them feel like they are correcting the problem um, or making the problem better. But it's not about making it better or correcting it. It's about changing the behavior that has been ongoing for a very, very long time. And it saddens my heart to, to see Janae in the video because you could see the hurt and pain in her face. And any woman that has been in a situation where they have been, whether it's verbally abused, physically abused, emotionally abused, abuse is abuse. Any woman that has been in that experience knows that pain without a shadow of a doubt. And, you know, right now Janae is protecting what she has because that's all she has. When you say that, I, I do not want to miss that because I keep feeling like the story that emerges from this, if you listen to it with different ears, is the problem isn't the abuse. The problem is that the abuse was on video. Correct. And because the abuse was on video, now we have to take action. Mm -hmm. So women, don't ever let it be public. Yes. Because if it is public, then the income for your household, the future for the per will will be destroyed. And I, I don't know how to wrap my head around on the one hand saying we cannot tolerate this and on the other hand saying I feel like we just made a set of policies that are going to push women mm -hmm. further into the darkness. Yes. But if, if I may, we tend to do that all the time. When there's an issue, we tend to react. And we were speaking about this in mm -hmm. the green room earlier. When there's an issue, we react, we enact something, and we put no thought no meaningful thought into actually how to implement it, how to deal with the root problem. So it's like throwing a sponge into the ocean. Mm -hmm. We're not dealing with the problem. We're not actually asking the people, what is it that you need? It's not informed by the victims. It's not informed by the survivors. It's not informed by their families. Mm -hmm. It's informed by the laws. And, and yet in part, undoubtedly part of why it isn't informed by the survivors is we, we can hear from Janae Rice's testimonies at various points or public statements, which I want to take seriously because they are hers. I don't mm -hmm. want to condescend mm -hmm. towards her. But she is also in a position where she has repeatedly refused to want to um, bring any kind of punishment onto Ray Rice. And so part of why there are so many laws around the country, for example, that take it out of the hands of the survivor is because that does seem to be part of the process mm -hmm. of violence against um, our domestic and intimate Partners. Oh, absolutely. And I think that this is a defining moment. Janae's story, as tragic as it was, and as traumatic, I suspect, as it is for her family, this is a moment that we can take a pause and say, wait a minute, this is a, a time that we can shift what has happened, take the spotlight off of this, use Janae's story and bring about a level of prevention and education and awareness to make sure that Janae's story is really celebrated in the way that other women will know that I can come forward. I don't have to be ashamed. But to victimize her for a second time mm -hmm. by making her feel like um, she should be ashamed of what's happened, that she's being 
chosen to make a decision between her whether she should stay or whether she should leave is that again victimizing her and making us all feel like this is not something that we should want to see in a public eye to see a woman like that she's already been ashamed she's already mm -hmm. been victimized right. this is I, a moment to bring forth greater prevention greater education and awareness Iran, as I was showing that we made a, a choice not to show the video for any of a variety of reasons besides the fact that I'm appalled that it exists in the public space in that way but even just the still photos I saw every person at this table cringe physically when those images came up and I keep thinking again it is it is one thing to talk about um, legal action punishment even potentially NFL professional um, sanctions against Ray Rice is another thing that all of us who do not know this woman's story who have never met her child who don't know you know have seen this moment in her life. Right, and I will say that I have not watched the video out of a decision not to re-victimize her, which is at tension, in fact, with my being a reporter. Yep. yep. I mean, I think there are things that I have heard from other people that you can learn from the video, such as the callousness with which he drags her body, you know, but I think that people play different roles in this situation, and each you know, the choices that she makes within her relationship are her own. The choices that everybody made along the way are accountable. Ray Rice is accountable. On some level, when we think about, you know, we've had these sexual assaults that have been documented on yep. video yep. in which victims without their consent were re-victimized. Yep. But on the other hand, the level of believing women is so low here. We had so much disbelief at women's own when they've chosen to tell their stories yep. that it requires a video. And, and I mean, the thing that was for me this week just... Not only a video, we, it's not like we haven't known for months clearly what happened in that elevator, but it took the actual video of seeing it, and I keep thinking, but I just know, I just know that I know that I know that while we present in, in news stories as though everyone is watching it appalled, you just know not everyone is watching it appalled, that, that, that just like we enjoy the violence and the thrill of the NFL itself, that there is that you're that's part of what's going on. Violated when you're watching the NFL, you're watching exactly. brain injury be inflicted. Mm -hmm. Well, and then also with Janae, even the way that she presented her statement, you know, even when you have been a victim, the people that are in your inner circle, that when you decide to make a decision to just come out and share, not to throw anyone under the bus, but the people in your close circle question what you're doing. What are you doing? Why are you sharing? You need to be careful what you're saying. You know, he could lose their job. So you're being judged and questioned again within the people that you trust and feel should be supporting you. Uh, I just listened to the latest episode on racism. Uh, I'm a First Nations person from Canada, and I can really relate to a lot of the things that were talked about in the episode. I'm not a very easily identifiable Aboriginal person, so I have a lot of people ask what I am or what my race is. A lot of people come up to me on the street and ask me what my race is, and a lot of people like to guess, uh, which is a very interesting kind of experience, very strange. Many people like to guess uh, that my race is whatever their race is which is kind of neat. When I tell them I'm First Nations, they're always surprised. Their reactions vary, but most, uh, the what I'd say the most popular are, one, some sort of joke about Pocahontas, which is very awkward. Uh, two, 
They like to kind of grill me on issues that are going on in the media at the time, like the Redskins, but I'm sure they can tell people that they talk to an Aboriginal person and they don't find it offensive or whatever. Side note, I do find it offensive. <laughs> Three, um, you don't seem Aboriginal or you don't act like you're an Aboriginal person. Or, yeah, but you're not really Aboriginal. I don't really know what that means, but... Uh, four, um, you should have told me I wouldn't have said blank. They don't realize that something isn't racist because someone from that group is present. It's racist because it's racist. <laughs> and then my all-time favorite is you must be happy you don't look very Aboriginal. The sad part is that I am happy I don't look very Aboriginal. I have the benefit of, be, of not having to deal with a lot of the things that other people have to deal with. I uh, work in a very conservative town, and I'm a law student at a conservative law firm, and sadly, I am happy that I don't look very Aboriginal, and that's that's a sad fact. So, thank you for the episode. It was amazing. Keep up the good work. Hi, my name is Al, and I'm from Seattle, Washington, and I'm calling in regards to your uh, abortion podcast. Uh, I wanted to tell you a little story, and it's how I got to know that I wasn't alone in my pro-choice feelings. Um, I had, uh, I've, I've experienced no abortion myself. However, I had a friend that uh, needed to have a procedure herself, and she was scared because there are lots of people who stand in the doorway and um, do the slut-shaming and let you know that you're going to go to hell. And I wanted to make sure she didn't feel alone. And so <laughs> I've got a sign that I keep in my trunk, and it says, uh, my choice gave me the education, the career, and the family I deserve. And so I just stood out there, and I stood out there for four hours. And not only did I get barraged by the people that were out there, but I got to have lunch bought for me by a random woman who was in tears thankful. I got given $20 by a random woman that said, thank you, you just keep doing what you're doing. I had another woman who stopped traffic just bawling because she was so thankful somebody was finally standing there on the other side. And it darn near brings me to tears every day because it is a, an opinion that is forgotten. And um, just to turn it around, I did meet a girl who could not afford, had no insurance, and uh, could not afford to go in and have a pregnancy test. And so she actually sat down next to me and said, you know, I'm really glad that you're doing this. And I said, what you here for? And she said, well, I was supposed to get a pregnancy test, but I can't afford it. And I said, you know what? I just got handed 20 bucks. How much is it going to cost? She said, it's 17. I said, you take it. God said, God said, go ahead and do it. And by golly, she found out she was pregnant and she has a beautiful baby girl. These abortion clinics provide so much more. And... I hope that we can all gain together as a humanity. And I thank you so much for what you do and the uh, messages and news that you portray in such a very open fashion. And um, thank you very much, and I hope to be a member very, very soon.
Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make the show possible. Thanks to Katie Klobusik for all of her work on our social media outlets and activism segments. And thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment or question of your own to be played on the show, the number to dial is 202-999-3991. And today, I want to follow up on a segment that we just heard in the show from Radio Dispatch. They were the ones talking about the Obama administration and their official statements regarding the Ray Rice incident and especially the use of the term real men. And I, I think that they did a great job starting that conversation. I just have a little bit more to add to it. And so the the whole concept of real men in relationship to this issue started for me a couple of weeks ago when I got, you know, like a text message or something from Katie who, you know, works on the show saying that, you know, this, you know, some, some dude takes a, uh, you know, took a selfie of himself in an elevator and tweet and, and just like given the camera, like a weird schmoozy kind of look and then tweeted out saying cowards make me sick. Real men show strength through patience and honor. This elevator is abuse free, which is like sort of a weird statement on multiple levels. The, this elevator is abuse free is like sort of a weird, like patting myself on the back for not doing something horrible. It's just like sort of problematic <laughs> in a variety of ways. And so she said like, yeah, this is really, it's just a, a creepy sort of response. And my response to her was that no uncreepy sentence has ever started with the phrase real men because it's just a fundamentally creepy thing. And then I didn't think about it at all until, you know, just a couple of days ago. And, you know, so I, I heard the radio dispatch clip and I thought like, oh, okay, like that's a pretty good and interesting dissection of the concept of real men and sort of the structures of patriarchy and how men see themselves and uh, just all sorts of ways that, that that phrase is a problem. And so then over this weekend, I, uh, you know, Amanda and I went up to New York for the People's Climate March. We're hanging out. And so as we were walking around the city, one of the conversations that came up was I asked her, hey, you know, what what do you think about the phrase real men in terms of like how that gets used? And I was like, you know, interpret it however you want. Just like, what do you what do you think about that? And, you know, she came up with a couple of instances of like, well, it, you know, can be used for good or ill. Right. I mean, you can it's maybe the traditional connotations you have with it are like, you know, uh, you know, real men are strong and tough and, you know, like this guy's tweet, even though it was like uh, obviously well-intentioned, but he couldn't even help himself from saying real men show strength through patience and honor. Yeah. Like strength, fine. Like, because that's just the masculine connotation and that's the, the default we all go to. But, you know, so she came up with like, well, what, you know, what if we use the phrase like, you know, real men uh, talk about their feelings. So it takes the whole concept and flips it and tries to, you know, reestablish or, or, you know, change the established uh, thinking about what a quote unquote real man is to try to actually use the phrase jujitsu like and change the, you know, the, the general societal expectations of men. And I was like, all right, you know, like that's interesting. This is definitely, you know, something uh, worth considering, but 
I, I couldn't, I couldn't shake the feeling. I was like, I don't know. That's still like the phrase itself creeps me out. Just like two weeks ago, I said to Katie, just very offhandedly, just like my instinct is whenever you use the phrase real men, it is super creepy, but I hadn't parsed out exactly why. And so throughout this conversation with Amanda, I had to figure out like, what is that? Like, yeah, you could use it to, to try to, you know, flip the idea of, of what a real man is. But that phrase still just really rubs me the wrong way. And eventually, uh, good news, I have an answer for you. Eventually, I, I sort of figured it out for myself. I'm certainly not the first person. Other people have said uh, the same thing. That by using the phrase real men, you're framing the entire conversation in a couple of ways. One is uh, shame. Like, to no, no matter who's saying it, if you're saying, you know, whatever, like real men show their women who's boss by beating them or real men talk about their feelings and are, you know, good feminists. Like no matter who's saying it, no matter what the intention, the phrase real men is intended to shame. Like if you don't do what I think is the appropriate way to act, then you're not a real man, which is inherently, it's a shaming context. But what's shaming about that? To say that someone's not a real man, you know, I don't think many people think like, oh, well, then you're an alien. They think like, oh, you're the opposite of a man. You're less than a man, which, again, in our society means to emasculate them to, you know, if you're not manly, then you're feminine. And so then we get around to the old trope about the worst thing, the the worst insult that you could, uh, you know, bestow upon a man is to call them a woman. I was like, all right, nailed it. You know, that that is exactly what it is. You know, saying that someone is not a real man is essentially saying you're you're kind of a pussy, which you know again is, is another insult that we shouldn't use because it unnecessarily genderizes the insult and equates femininity with weakness. And, you know, something to be abhorred by, you know, whoever, whoever has that insult directed at them. Uh, and it shouldn't be. The whole idea of feminism and, and trying to gain gender equality is to erase those types of concepts from our ways of thinking. So I was pretty excited to have, uh, to have solved that little mental riddle for myself. And it's, it's, uh, I, I enjoy those so much because my, my instinct tells me how I feel about something. Sometimes long, long before I figure out exactly, you know, intellectually why I feel that way. And this was one, just a perfect case study of that where like I knew I was creeped out, but I didn't know why. And then, uh, you know, a couple of weeks later figured it out. So that's it for today. Uh, if you have comments on, on this or anything about the show or anything else, uh, the number again, 202-999-3991. Please keep those calls coming in. Thanks everyone for listening, of course. Thanks to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations, as that is absolutely how the program survives. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it, leaving glowing reviews on iTunes and Stitcher, and by donating your accounts at donateyouraccount.com slash bestofleft. Stay tuned into the show by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter, and for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information can always be found in the show notes on the blog. So come 
coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C. My name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you every third day, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. And it's a crying shame How we get so trained We can't see past our own sad stories And wonder why we're missing We can't see past our own sad stories And forget how to listen We can't see past our own sad stories And Stories and forget who it is with.